This is your place for all things Detroit Red Wings and all things Chicago Blackhawks. With your hosts, Jordan Linscott, David Barnhouse, Nick LePage, and Tim Stampanato. This is the Stickblade Podcast. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. You're listening to another edition of the Stick Blade Podcast. It is your place for all things Detroit Red Wings, all things Chicago Blackhawks, and just general news around the NHL. On tonight's episode, another pretty big one. Uh, the 2020 NHL Entry Draft is officially wrapped. The teams have made all their selections, all the trades, and craziness that is draft day is officially done. And we're into this free agency period now. And, of course, like we mentioned last uh, episode, this season's free agency is absolutely loaded with big names, and big names went to big teams. Um, but before we get into all that, we have some news to talk about in regards to the Red Wings and the Blackhawks, because this is a Blackhawks and Red Wings podcast. On the Red Wings front, we're going to be talking about all of the free agents that they signed, because Steve Eisman just decided he's going to be Oprah and hands out contracts to everybody, except not Con Hill on style. He's not going to overpay everybody. And then on the Blackhawks side, I think you guys are going to be a little bit less enthusiastic than me and David are. Because you guys made some moves which some people kind of are shaking their heads at. So, before I keep rambling, how are you guys all doing tonight? I am out here loving this flat cap chaos. I mean, I, I got some questions on the Hawks end. I, I don't know how to feel on some things, but... We got a lot of big names on free agency, and we're also seeing a lot of teams getting rid of players they wouldn't have in the past. It's it's chaos out there, folks, and I love it. Um, it's uh all mm, like just eh on my end. I don't know. Uh, we'll get to it though. I mean, it's been a fun few days seeing all these new guys on the move and all these trades and free agent signings. So. Yeah, I'm excited for, I mean, we got a couple more days left of the free agency period. We'll see what else happens. Finally excited for the first time in a while. Like, I was excited when we first hired Iserman, and now we're just starting to see Iserman really get to work. And um, he's not just filling the hole with broken down veterans um, with overpaid contracts. He's bringing in, like, younger guys, um, guys that can play, guys on short-term deals, that we could swap at the trade deadline if we need to. But he's convinced people to come here. I mean, they're seeing what he did in Tampa Bay. They just won the cup. Um, people want to play under this smart-minded person that is Steve Eiserman. Since we're talking about, you know, Steve Eiserman, I mean, I, I really think that this team is heading the direct or correct direction under his leadership. I mean, like you said, players are wanting to come here and be a part of what he's building after he's essentially built it in Tampa. That Tampa roster was basically assembled by Steve Eisman. Now, granted, he didn't have some of the pieces in Detroit that Tampa had, but just different pieces, I guess, is an interesting way to put it. Um, before we get too deep into either team, though, um, I want to just start off by talking about the big piece of news for this week, and that is the 2020 NHL Entry Draft. Basically, the way that the draft shook out was... You know, the consensus top three players were all pretty much decided. You had Alexis Lafreniere, you had Bowen, I almost said Bowen Byram, Quentin Byfield, and Tim Stutzel. And then after the top three, it was really just up in the air in terms of who Detroit was going to be picking. 
And so I'll go ahead and just start off because they picked first. The Detroit Red Wings with the fourth overall selection selects Lucas Raymond out of the Swedish Elite League. Um, if you haven't really been following up on the uh, draft at all and the players in it, basically this is how I sort of broke down Lucas Raymond. He is a very small but fast forward who has great hands and has just fantastic hockey smarts, but he needs to put on size, and I think he needs to use his teammates a little bit more. Um, David, what's sort of your takeaway if you've watched any video on him? Um, I've watched some videos before the draft just of like the players we were going to get. with We could have gotten with Perfetti, with him, with Rossi, with Drysdale, or... Uh, Anderson, those are the guys that I was like really considering we were going to probably get. And um, yeah, like you said, he's a very quick um, shoot first mentality type player. Reminds me of uh, Zadina. So once he kind of figures out using his teammates like Zadina kind of has, cool boy, it's going to be nice. He's gonna he's just got to put on a little weight. And since we drafted him, he's I scored I think a couple goals. I mean tonight. Or this afternoon in the Swedish league, he was playing uh, Bergeron's team, who was the guy that I said, like, keep an eye on. Like, when we talked uh, a couple weeks ago, like, who I wanted to keep an eye on, they both scored. Um, so, exciting times. Um, I like what, he, what he's looked like. What I've liked, you know, um, Byfield or Tutsley to drop, oh, yeah. But I'm really happy with who we picked. Your mind, looking at Lucas Raymond, I mean, as long as he continues to progress, I, I think in the same way that Zadina has became basically a click for the roster in terms of not going anywhere, I really think that Raymond can, after a se- another season of you know, developing, getting that size, just learning how to use his uh, teammates more, where do you think that he's going to slot in when Detroit eventually moves him to the team? Because I don't... I don't think that he makes the team out of training camp. I would love it if he did. The optimist in me says that he will, but if I'm I, being realistic, I don't think he will. Let me interject. Um, Eisenman's already said he's going to spend the year in the Swedish league. That makes sense. Honestly, just from watching him play, I, I think that he's going to benefit a lot more spending. Especially with year. COVID right now. Well, yeah, exactly. No one knows. I mean, it's shooting to start January 1st. But if this kid's able to spend another year actually consistently playing, putting up big minutes, not having to fight for a roster spot, he can just sort of do his thing and grow. Mm-hmm. I think that next year you're going to get a much more complete product. I like what you've been saying that with that comparison to Zadina. I think he is going to bring a similar skill set like that. And coming in with a more complete package, mm-hmm. he should slot into your top six a lot faster. So here's my thinking, Jordan, um, since you asked. Um, he doesn't make the roster this year because he's probably going to stay in the Swedish league. Next year, depending on how much weight he's put on and wh- how things are going like pandemic-wise, which I'm hoping most likely should be gone, um, if he does make the team, I would slot him. So here's my top two lines. Top line, you have Dylan Larkin with Mantha and Burt. You know, you got to keep those three together. They're great. And then second line, you got Zadina and uh, Raymond with JFV centering them. Because <laughs> JFV bows to no man. No. 
I mean, Nick and Tim, you guys are on the outside looking in for our organization in this regard. I mean, what is your guys's thoughts on this pick? Do you guys think that we made the right decision picking, you know, a small, shifty sort of really quick finesse winger? Or do you guys think that we should have went with one of the, the defensemen who may not hit the NHL, you know, within the next year or two, but when they tap or top out, is probably going to project as at least a top four guy? Oh, I really love this pick by the Wings. Um, that's part of. I mean, you're gonna look at his numbers. Like the average fan will look at his numbers, and be like, oh, ten points in 33 games in the SHL. Like that's like, why are we taking this guy? He's going against men. Let's not forget that mm-hmm. in a professional Swedish league, and he's already got four points in six games this season. The best part about Lucas Raymond is he's going to be one of those guys that you could throw on your penalty unit, your penalty kill unit. You could throw it on, throw him on your power play because he has that offensive ability. He's just t- extremely talented in everything, every offensive way, playmaker, and center. And he's also a two-way player. Like he loves to forecheck, and he's he plays well in his own end. So he's one of those guys you're going to be able to put on all your special teams units, and he's going to do his job and do it well. I think it's a home run pick and. I think that was the right pick for the Red Wings. Yeah, this is who I expected uh, Iserman to pick if he didn't go crazy off board. Uh, I really like you mentioned that shiftiness. I I love that about him. Just watching some of his highlight reels, you can see him. He has a knack for finding finding those open spots and getting through. And you're able to be defensively responsible, get it in there, make the play. This is a person who's going to immediately improve i think your breakout game and improve just the overall structure you're going to be able to put people it gives you more combinations and that's going to be really exciting for you with all the young guys that you're bringing up and he's one of those guys like he's going to be able to drive a line when he develops like he is that big of a playmaker like uh, his hockey elite page i was reading about earlier not one to wait for a play to happen he's the one that generates and makes things happen so that's great to see out of a young kid at 18 already and you know when he develops and gets that confidence in the nhl level he's going to be he's going to be a force let's move and talk about the uh the hawks first round pick you guys selected uh lucas reichel and uh he's out of uh germany i believe yep yep played for i believe it was sb rosenheim so Basically, uh, Luke Reichel is again a forward like uh, like Raymond. Um, basically, from what I've seen and what I've heard, it basically sounds like he's a very very forechecker and backchecker. Very basically like a two way player game, not a uh, playmaker or a sniper per se, but just a great two way player. Kind of, I don't want to say similar to like a big heavy winger. But I mean, as of right now, he's already 172 pounds and six foot. So he's a big boy already. Definitely. I've seen a lot of comparisons so far to like uh, Brandon Sod style of play, uh, which uh. is good because <laughs> gone. Uh, there we go. But like low center of gravity is so hard to knock off the puck. Anytime I see anyone, especially a prospect being sold on being an unrelenting four checker and back checker. I, I get excited because that kind of motor and that kind of style of play, I think that we desperately lack a lot of the time. And getting that in Reichel, I'm excited. I I think we'll see him in about two years. I don't know. What do you think, Nick? I'd say two years. I mean, the forwards, they 
Oh, typically NHL teams and the forwards, if they get a first round pick, they kind of want to rush them up just because that's the, it's easier to develop a forward at the NHL level than it is a D man. So I think two years. Yeah. I, th- I think we're going to see him put on a little more weight, a little more muscle this year. And, uh, but I think the fact that he, I think he was 17 years old playing against men. Like that's, that's insanity to me. I'm, I'm excited about that. And if he was able to maintain a lot of that hard hitting, hard driving play against men at 17, 18 years old, having him grow a little bit more, he had a massive, he had grew like six inches, six or five inches in the last year. So he's, he's still growing and putting on a little bit more of that muscle, especially with that low center of gravity. I think this is going to be a steal of a pick for us. Yeah. And so I was, I to be honest, before the draft, I wasn't really like I, I was banging the drum for Dylan Holloway. Obviously, he was gone, and so this is probably the next best option. Like he's a big two-way forward, and that's exactly what the Hawks need in their pipeline. They don't really have that. They have all these potential offensive playmakers and defensive uh, studs coming up in the pipeline, but we don't have that two-way guy anymore. Like we just mentioned, Brandon Saad leaving. We'll get to that later. Mm-hmm. But I think Mark Ke- Mark Kelly really. Was enamored when after the after the draft first round interview, he said he wanted Reichel because he's big, but he still has room to grow inside his body. Like the the Hawks learn, like they're watching the the same game we are. You got to be big, fast, and able to hit and attack the puck to win the NHL now. And that's what Lucas Reich, they're hoping Lucas Reichel turns out to be. And I think uh, with his two way game and second effort kind of character, it's going to work out. Definitely. We've got a ton of finesse guys, a ton of really skilled playmakers. You're right. The The one thing that we're really lacking is a high-quality two-way guy. And if Reichel can be this for us, I'm I'm ecstatic. That's going to be great. In your guys' opinion, where do you think that he tops out at? Because I, I know it's way too early to make true predictions, but just... Looking at his stats from his past, you know, two or three years, where realistically, if you guys are going to predict, you think he tops out at? Do you think that he truly does develop into a top six player? Do you think he ends up being like a middle six winger? Because I, I think mean, he's... I can't imagine he makes top line. I just most guys drafted this late don't usually do it. I mean, there are other ex- there are exceptions, but I think he's a top six. He's going to pan out to be a top six, and then obviously. He may not be like up the first line stud like Nikita Kucherov, but um, Lucas Reichel, I think he's like you see you see how the Hawks make their lineup. They have guys playing on the first line that often shouldn't. Like Dominic Cahoon excelled on the first line when we had him. I think Lucas Reichel has way more offensive potential than uh, I mean maybe not Brandon Saad, but he has similar offensive potential to them. With them, he has a nasty shot, and I think it's just working on that consistent finish, but. Uh, I think he's a top six player, at least. Well, I mean, that's the thing. There's nothing wrong with being the third best guy on the first. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Exactly. I don't think he just from his style of play and like what we've seen so far from him. I don't think he's going to be elite. I don't think that he's going to be the person that's driving a first line or necessarily even driving a top six line. But he's the kind of person that you put on the first line to compliment. He's a guy that's going to be picking pockets and, you know, making sure that he's hustling back and forechecking and back checking, uh, 
opening up space, making room. He's skilled enough to make plays. He's not a true playmaker, but his hands are good enough and his vision's good enough that I think that if he hits his ceiling, he's the third best guy on the first line. And one thing I don't think we're really we mentioned yet is he's fast too. Like the kid's quick. Yeah. No, that's like, that's a good point. I was watching like they were showing some of his draft highlights or when he got drafted, they were showing some of his highlights. There, uh, the one play that I mean, I think it was the first highlight that caught my eye. He would he got the puck center ice, I believe, and the there's two defenders like probably five steps back like in front of him. He blew right past him. So uh, he's got that natural speed, that natural tough to play against kind of mentality. So I'm excited. I like the pick, and you know, uh, hopefully we see him in an Indian sweater in two years. I mean, here's the thing: we often called Sad a uh, little Hosa, and yeah. right now the stuff I'm seeing from Reichel, a lot of the things that excite me about him are Hosa-esque qualities. And if he can keep bulking up, that that hard to play against, hard to knock off the puck, <laughs> I'll take that. I think uh, we might be the biggest Lucas R podcast there is now, right? And we both have Lucas R's now developing in our system. Well, Lucas that we're, R's, I love it. Uh, yeah, so we might have to change our name just to Lucas R podcast going forward, right? LR squared. <laughs> um, you... Oh, yeah, go ahead, Jordan. No, no, go ahead and go, Nick. I was just going to ask, like, who do you guys think had the biggest steal in the first round? If, there was, like, if we didn't want to continue on us. Here's the thing. If he pans out and he can be what he was before his injuries, the Capitals getting Hendricks LaPierre at like 25th overall, and he's a top 10 talent when he's healthy, that's the steal of the draft for me, or at least in the first round. Still mine, man. I think LaPierre was, they had him, some had him penned in top five if it wasn't for all the injuries. So, yeah, big steal by the Capitals, and go figure. They just always find a way. But, man, vertebrae injuries coupled with a couple of concussions? Mm, I Not get good. I got to go with the New Jersey Devils. Getting Alexander Holtz at 7th. I mean, I watched a lot of the World Juniors right before these drafts, or before like mock drafts happened. He was the one player out of Sweden that... I just got so excited watching. And, like, I didn't even realize that he was draft eligible this year. I really think that New Jersey is going to look back on this draft and Holtz is going to look like an absolute steal at seven. I I think you could say that about a couple of the guys. You know, Holtz, uh, Perfetti, uh, there's another one. Whoever went, Rossi. There's a couple of guys that, depending on how all this shakes out, there could be a couple of massive steals at the end of the top ten. What about you, David? Yeah, um, I called... Well, one of the things I called was the Drysdale dropping below Sanderson. I was shocked. I mean, I know Sanderson. I think was, Sanderson's the better player. I think, I think he's so. a more um, well-rounded player. Yeah, he kind of has like uh, a smooth skater. Um, but yeah, Ottawa. I know Ottawa loved him at five, and obviously they took him there. He, he kind of, I mean, they were hoping he's probably the next Quinn Hughes or Cal McCarr, whatever one you prefer. Because uh, he has that offensive ability and he's pretty pretty shut down defensively as well. Yep, you know, I was saying I think before the draft when we talked, the two players I would have been disappointed if we had drafted at number four would have been um, Askarov or Drysdale because I would have rather had Sanderson over Drysdale if we we're going to pick a defender. 
Askarov is also going to be a huge. I mean, they were saying he's top. Nashville got him. I'm not. I call, I said that too. I'm like Nashville. I feel like Nashville is a team that would take him because he's on his way out soon. And you I mean, I got. It. I remember. I didn't learn that arena. I guess they're not that big on UC Soros after all. So uh, well, that makes me so sad because Pecorino is basically like grooming him. Like he calls him his son. Uh, I'm a sucker for storylines. What do you What do you want from me? <laughs> Yeah, I mean they they were they were saying like he's a top three talent. It's just he's a goalie, so like just don't want to draft a goal, use a goalie in the first round. But if you're that good, uh, Nashville's uh, it seems like it's a slam dunk no matter what with Askarov. So uh, yeah, they're gonna have another stud goalie in there coming up here soon. I think that's probably the most interesting pick in this draft is just the Askarov pick. I mean Nashville still has Pecorini, but like you said, Nick, he's on his way out. And they still have Soros, which Soros is more than serviceable, but I don't think he's going to be a long-term starter. This Askarov pick is, I think, either going to be just a massive slam dunk, or it's going to be one of those picks where it just, for whatever reason, doesn't pan out. And if it's a slam dunk, that's going to be huge for Nashville, because franchise-level goaltenders are so incredibly hard to get these days. Well, let's hope uh, that we got ours in the second round, eh? Yeah, I mean, well, uh, I don't know how to pronounce his last name. Uh, Meso. <laughs> yeah, Kameso or yes, Kameso. Uh, yeah, he was. I think he was ranked the second best goalie in the draft, and he's a bigger goalie too. So, uh, hoping he pans out because obviously we have our own goaltending problems coming up here shortly. But... <laughs> no problems, only uh, fun learning experiences. <laughs> so I mean, we could sit here and we could go through every draft pick that yeah. both of these teams made. But I mean, just in general, overall, when you look at the like each team's draft philosophies, what do you guys think about how your clubs handled the draft? Because I mean, I feel like me and David are pretty much on the same page in the sense that we like that Detroit went pretty defense heavy, especially with the early rounds. I mean, they went best player available in the first round, which you have to when you're that high in the draft like this. I really think that Detroit just slam-dunked this draft. They made a great yeah. first rounder, and then they just went D-heavy throughout the draft, which is something we really need. We drafted six defensemen. And not only that, you forgot the other key part. Iserman just fucking taking picks from people. Just saying, oh, you want this pick? Well, give us this one and this one. Oh, you want this? Give us this one and this one. He just gained like, even more draft picks in the upcoming drafts. The man knows what he's doing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, if he his guy wasn't there, so he would move down. So yeah. it was it was smart. And uh, Arzeman's just continuing to maneuver around the draft board and getting his guy no matter what. Tim and Nick, I mean, what do you guys think about how the Hawks handled this draft? Are you guys happy with it or no? I uh, I honestly liked it. I thought that it went pretty well again. Anything outside of – I'm being generous. Anything outside the second round – it's a crapshoot. We have no idea drafting a lot of these kids in the third through seventh round. You're you're banking on potential, and at that point, it's potential on a limited you know window that you've seen from them. So I like the balance of defensemen and forwards that we did got. Uh, I thought our third round was actually really strong. I like what I've seen and heard about Wyatt Kaiser. Uh, I think there's a lot of possibilities there. Our seventh round, we got a six foot eight defenseman. That's always exciting when they're like seventeen or eighteen years old and they're giant beast men. 
Uh, but you know, after the third round or after the second round, it's kind of a crapshoot, and I I love our scouting. I think that we do a fantastic job with scouting. Yeah, Mark Kelly knows what he. That's one thing that Mark Kelly knows how to do is yep. he's the head scout or in charge of scouting. It's scouting and development or something. I forgot his exact yeah, title, yeah. but he always he always finds these little gems in the draft, like uh, Nicholas Jalmerson. Uh, he's been around for Kelly. Thinks been around where you found Seabrook and Keith as well, and uh, yeah. So obviously, Hawks do well in the draft usually, and I like uh, acting for potential needs in the future. Obviously, with the goalie in the second round, and then uh, it doesn't help to get more defensive. Uh, yeah, more defensive in the pipeline. So I'm I'm intrigued. I think uh, there's potential there. I like, like Wyatt Kaiser, and then who knows that six eight Bohemoth. Let's see what he could turn out to be. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay. Well, I mean, we can move on from the draft because we've been talking about it now for about a half hour or so. When we still have yeah. a lot to talk about this episode. Yeah, yeah. Wise. Yeah. yeah. Here we go. Um, I guess. I think that we'll get through the Wings talk the quickest. So we'll start with the Red Wings talk, this side of the podcast. So Detroit basically went out and Steve Eiserman found, what what was it, five or seven free agents, David? I think that he signed. It just, it just didn't stop. It was like me, you know, in the back. It was like you last week. <laughs> yeah, when I couldn't figure out why my stomach was killing me. That's why. Steve Eiserman so, was just like, oh, here's another one. Here's another one. Okay, so I'm going to walk through the moves really quick that uh, Steve Eiser made, and we'll just break them down like one by one. So the first move, or the first one that we'll talk about, uh, the Wings signing Tom Grice, the goaltender previously known for playing with the New York Islanders, signed into a $3.1 million contract per over a two-year uh, deal. Bobby Ryan, known for the Ottawa Senators, a one-year, I think it was one-year, $1 million deal. Uh, John Merrill, uh, two nine twenty five k, one year deal. Uh, Vladislav Nemestikov, a two year, four million dollar deal, and then Troy Stetcher, the defenseman out of Vancouver, as well. So those are the names that Steve Eisman basically went out that look like they're going to be like basically either roster moves or even just potential flip assets at the deadline next year. Um, David, which one of these do you want to talk about first? Um. I just want to say I really like, um, can never say his name, Namastekov. Yep, Vladislav Namastekov. Is, you know, the uh, quote unquote second generation wing because his uncle, good old Kozlov, was a great Red Wing player for us. So it's exciting to see another, uh, you know, someone coming in like that. And I think Eiserman has a good eye for him because he drafted him for Tampa. That's right, bringing him back. I love that. Let's go ahead and start with Nemestikov then. So Nemestikov is a young centerman, like you said, drafted by Eisman down in Tampa. He basically signed into a two-year, $4 million contract. I think he immediately slots in as a second-line center, which means that Phil Pluck can move to third-line center and Nielsen can move to fourth-liner, which... I'm perfectly fine with it at that point. Nielsen um, moved to the trash. Don't get too ahead of ourselves. We just bought out Abdelkader now. We don't really have much more room for buyouts without having more dead cap for forever. We could just go get a guy that, you know, used to play for the Blackhawks and then trade him to the Blackhawks for picks. 
Oh, Why do yeah, you I see that. Me? What have I done to you? <laughs> I see that. Too. Uh, <clears throat> but I mean, in all seriousness, so what do you think about this move, David? Because I really like this one. It's a short term, it's cheap, it fills an immediate hole for us. And if it doesn't work out, we're only stuck with it for two years. We can just move it at the deadline anyway, so it's not a big deal. Exactly. And that's what a lot of these deals have been. Like, look at Bobby Ryan, one year deal. And if we can get Bobby Ryan playing like he had been, oh boy, maybe we get a first round pick out of him. Who knows? The two year deal is also crucial, too, because of the expansion draft as well. So uh, obviously, these guys right. are, they're, uh, Nemesco is probably unprotected. He could be one of the, he probably will be unprotected, obviously. Could be one of those guys. Uh, I like this signing by Detroit. You could put him on the wing as well. He's mostly a center, but uh, mm-hmm. yeah, nice, a nice, familiar face for Eiserman, and he's got a nice skill set. I mean, he's he's got almost scored fifty points in twenty eighteen, so he's a solid player. And uh, I'm playing with the right guys. He plays a good role. Exactly. I yeah. see him. So if he plays second line, that would project putting him. I just assume you put him with Zadina and probably Fabry. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, that makes sense. That gives uh, Valeno a little more time to uh, grow and cook into that second line slot. What are you talking about? Grow and cook. Grow <laughs> and cook. Greatest player in the NHL. He's gonna have You're like a right. hundred point season this year. <laughs> Forgive me, I'm a <laughs> Hundred points in the first five games. Um, the other name that is sort of a bigger name that Detroit signed. You just mentioned him, Bobby Ryan. Um. I really like this story. For anybody who doesn't know, you know, basically, Bobby Ryan had some personal problems that he finally dealt with and basically got settled. He came back to the NHL, and he had a pretty decent career at the start of his career, but for whatever reason, just sort of fell off. After he came back and he got his help that he needed first, things not related to the game. He just sort of finds his way to Detroit. This is sort of like his chance to, I guess, sort of, I don't want to say reinvent because I don't think he'll reinvent himself, but just sort of, I guess, show people that he's still competent, he's still a good player, and that he yeah. still has what it take to ha- still has what it takes to hack it in this league. Oh, exactly. Um, I've never really had a bad thing to say about him. Everybody goes through shit in their life, and he went through some pretty big shit. Um, and he's back. And this is like a redemption arc for him, and I hope it's a good one for him. Yeah, I'm I'm a sucker for anybody who's got a great comeback story like that. Now, especially someone like Bobby Ryan, who's all reports have basically shown not only is he a great player, he's just a great person. And I think you're right. This signing in Detroit, this is a fresh start for him, and it's a chance to say, hey, I'm. I've I've still got a lot left in the tank, and I've got a lot to give to a team, and that's exciting for Detroit to have him. Yeah, this is a perfect advocator replacement. I think obviously a little more skilled as well. He likes to shoot the puck. He likes to shoot the puck too. Uh, fine with me. Yeah, he's only like I don't like thirty three. I know is kind of old in the NHL now, but he's only thirty three still. Uh, I think his uh, he obviously went through the mental health issues in Ottawa. Um, uh, felt bad in, in Ottawa. I mean, I think there like there's more to it though. Like I think he, I, I I'm not gonna speculate if it's right or wrong, but I know he came out publicly about it. But I think part of it was like the reason he was so 
dogged on was because of that big contract. He wasn't producing to a $7.25 million contract. I think uh, $1 million is a very cost-friendly buy for the Red Wings. Uh, you're going to get some production out of them and a nice veteran to have in the locker room as well for these young guys. Uh, you bring up a good point, and that's just another one of those reminders that these are human beings and not just cap hits. And, like, that's something that really irks me a lot of the time. Like, yeah, we can be mad about size of contract and, like, ah, if somebody's not producing, but, like, man, that's a human being. You can be critical without being cruel. And I I'm, I just wish the best for Bobby Ryan. Yeah, I think, I mean, a change of scenery is nice, too. Like, Oh, absolutely. I think it was his first home game back. He scored a hat trick uh, this past season, his first home game back from his uh, time away from the game. Gotta believe that feels good. Yeah, so I think it's cool. Uh, it's a nice, like, a change of scenery for Bobby Ryan, which is needed. Um, from a hockey, He was in Ottawa, which is a hockey-crazed town. I mean, I know he's going to Detroit, which is hockey town now, but uh, they know their role. They know their rebuilding phase, and I like this signing. I think it's a great fit for Detroit. I, mean, I feel like... In particular, Bobby Ryan and uh, Vladislav Domestikov, if there are any contracts on the wings that have the potential to be another Robbie Fabry situation like we had from last year, these are the two. These are guys who are not making a ton of money, who are not inked to long-term, and they're going to be giving meaningful minutes, and they're not going to be expected to be these lights-out players. So... It's almost, as long as they're even just mediocre, it's going to be more than fine. Mm-hmm. Um, the next move, or the other two moves that I want to talk about, um, the Wings ended up signing John Merrill basically uh, to a, what was it, $925,000 one-year deal. Basically, he's a uh, like stopgap defenseman, basically just rounds out the defense pairs. And then they also signed Troy Stetcher from Vancouver. And uh, Stetcher's actually a young defenseman. He's only, what is he, 26, I believe? So he's actually a younger defenseman who has some actual time left in his career. So this is one of those signings that could be a long-term piece in Detroit if he ends up panning out and ends up doing well. I mean, with Erickson gone, with Trevor Daly gone, with Nick Cronwall gone, I love this pickup. You see that flow on John Merrill, though? It's a good flow. We got some flow in this team now. But no, I, I agree. Great defensive pickups, way better than a Trevor Daly. Well, and it's also cool listening to John Merrill talk about, you know, hey, I love the Red Wings. I almost promised myself if there was a chance I could play there, I'd, I'd go with the offer. Yep. And that's got to feel good as a Detroit fan to hear people like, yeah, I want to be there. That That's really cool. Well, he wanted to be drafted by us back in the day because he, he played it. He played at Michigan. I think he might have. Because he said he, he, wanted, he wanted I remember to go him. back to watch the Tigers play. I'm like, yeah, 2012 Tigers were a thing to watch. You don't want to watch them play now, John Merrill. <laughs> yeah, actually, I think he did because I remember him talking about saying that he knew Luke Glendening. Mm-hmm. I mean, the John Merrill one, I think that's more of just like a filling out the defensive pairs. But I, I think that Troy Stetcher is just like a, strip, a strict upgrade over, obviously, Trevor Daly or Jonathan Erickson. I mean... When Steve Eiserman said that both of those two were going to be gone, you knew that either a young defenseman or a bigger name defenseman was going to come in. 
and potentially be filling those roles. I think Stetcher is that player who might be sticking around for, you know, the next four or five years if he actually does well in Detroit. I mean, if nothing else, he's going to be given more than ample chance to do it. I like the Merrill signing. I think he's a nice little, again, a nice little depth piece. Uh, you know, I he's not one of those guys that it's going to be like an attractive signing, but it's a nice little piece to have. A nice stat for the Red Wings, and again, gives young t- these young guys some time to develop and you know not put too much pressure on them. And you're like, again, Nick and Tim, you guys are looking outwards at our team. Do you guys think that at least those four moves are the correct moves for Detroit moving forward through this rebuild period? Like, or do you think that we should have just went and continued to just absorb bad contracts and accumulate picks? Like, do you think that we should have gone that route with free agency, or do you think that this is the correct route, basically finding guys who you can flip at the deadline for picks if they pan out decently? I, I think these are great moves. I think that these moves make sense. They're in line with your overall goal of the rebuild. Again, short-term contracts. Some of them are guys that could sign on for longer if it works. You've got veteran presence and some structure in Bobby Ryan. Uh, which is sort of a grounding influence for these young guys coming up. And like you said, you can flip them at the deadline if need be. Uh, and it gives, it still gives plenty of room for homegrown guys to get their chances and round things out. Uh, you, I don't think that you'd want to just be accumulating bad contracts and picks because then not only are you a rebuild, but you're also a team that nobody wants to watch this gives you uh an engaging team to watch it gives you hope to the fan base and it's going to be a little more competitive and exciting but it doesn't hurt your overall rebuild goal and to me that's a massive win yeah it's just the next step in the process now uh obviously you it's like phase two of this rebuild now and i think it's great uh you're gonna have a more competitive hockey team out there it's gonna be entertaining games Will be seeing. I, I they're not, not going to accumulate as many losses as they did last season. I don't believe. So uh, yeah, I think Eisman really did a great job. He could have easily went out there and just spent a ton of money this free agency, but he didn't. He made the moves that he wanted to make, rather than making guys just to, you know, hoping to flip them. These are guys he could either live with on the roster, or if they are exceeding his expectations, he could flip them. Then, so uh, great job by Eisman this offseason. Last contract that I want to talk about is the Thomas Grice signing. Um, Thomas Grice, the goaltender out of the New York Islanders for the past couple of years, signed a $3.1 million deal uh, per for a two-year deal. So basically, it's him and Bernier running as the goaltending tandem for this coming season. And then the season after, I believe, Bernier is off, but we'll still have Grice. This... I think is more just it's a backup goaltender signing and it's basically they're going to neither one is going to be the definitive starter. I think it's really just going to be whoever has a hot hand in a given period of time is going to be playing starter until the other one takes it back from them. What do you guys think of this signing? I guess I like, yeah, I think it's a good, yeah, it's a good, it's a good signing. Uh, Again, not one of those ones where like it's a sexy signing, but it it does the job. I mean, he, he, he obviously Holtby probably wasn't a part of the plans when I got a guy that could either start, like they could just have a committee with Bernier and Grice 
signing by the Red Wings, uh, again, just another small move that it's it has some notion to it. Super hyped. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think it goes back to the same comment that I had before. It, it keeps the team engaging and makes the games worth watching, uh, but it doesn't hurt the rebuild. So Grice is, you know, Grice is an improvement, and he's going to make the team more interesting. Good enough. Let's go ahead and move over to the Blackhawks side of the podcast because you guys had quite a bit of movement as well. Not as much as the Red Wings, I don't think, but you had some decent movement within your guys' team. Um, a sad, sad movement. You, you could say a sad movement. Uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll start with the Brandon sad one, just since I just made the made the <laughs> terrible joke with it. So you guys That's ended up job. trading. <laughs> You guys end up trading Brandon Saad for Nikita Zadorov. Um, Nick, I already know that you don't like this move based on the talk before the episode. Yeah. Um, no, I, I just I understand this team needed change. Okay, this team does need change. Obviously, it wasn't. It was a 12th place team last year that made the playoffs based on a global pandemic. Uh, Saad, $6 million contract. I figured he was going to be one of those guys who are getting moved. I just I'm not a fan of the return. I think, I mean, I Colorado fans love Zadorov because he's physical. He's more of a shutdown defenseman and he's tough to play against, but he has issues with turnovers. He's not, he doesn't play great in front of the net. I don't know. Maybe Carlton sees something for his system because he Carlton runs a very different system than a lot of other NHL coaches. But I thought a guy like Brandon side, you could, you know, Colorado has a stacked prospect pool, and I, if the Hawks truly engaging with a rebuild, that it's what seems to be hinted at with the moves Stan Bowman has made this offseason, um, I would like to see you know getting one of those prospects. I, it doesn't matter which one, um, and maybe a second round pick with it. I and I'll, I just think that Orov's another guy that's just clogging up the blue line. No, that's still one of our issues, but we got these young guys coming up. If we're embracing the rebuild, I'd rather see the young guys in there, but he's 25. Maybe uh, Dan wants to see what he could do in the Blackhawks jersey because if he works out, he could be a long-term fix, but no, just not a big fan of the return. I knew Saad was on his way out, though. I We've talked about this. I have had a couple of days to think about it and to calm down and focus myself. And I am looking for the positives and the potential in Zadarov. And we've been seriously missing. I, I know that Dehan was sort of supposed to be a shutdown guy, uh, but we've been missing that true shutdown defenseman. And the guy's 6'5, 230 pounds. Like, he can eat big minutes. And to me, the most important thing, too, he can land hits. Uh, he led the Avalanche with 175 hits, and that's fantastic for especially going to the Hawks, where we don't have a lot of guys that hit. We don't have a lot of guys that stand up. You know, we see guys stand up for their players, but not a lot of guys that have that the teeth to go with it. You know, if Zadarov is able to slot into a second pairing. And maybe you pair him with a Boquist. Maybe, you know, it shelters his minutes a little bit. 
And it also gives Boquist a little more room to explore and use his offense if Zadorov is locking things down. I, to me, what this also says is that I'm going to guess that Ian Mitchell starts the year in Rockford, which is not a bad thing. Duncan Keith has talked a lot about how he played a year in college and then he played two years in uh, the AHL. And he said it was tremendous for his development. You know, if Ian spends a year in Rockford, that ain't bad. He's playing, he'll he'll play first line minutes. You know, he'll be used in all situations against men. Uh, Zadarov could provide the key piece that we've been missing on the defense since Jalmerson. Not that I think anyone can live up to Jalmerson, but that that sort of shutdown presence is big, and I think I think that we got an NHL caliber player in return for Sod, which a pick is an unknown. I I know the rebuild, and I know we want picks, and I know we want prospects, but this is at least a commodity that we know can hang in the NHL, and if you can cut down on the turnovers, this could be a big thing for us. Yeah, I mean, like again, I, I, I was more heated at the time, I guess. Oh, for uh, sure, I was, I was fuming. <laughs> yeah, so like it's, you no, know, it, it's water under the bridge now. It's, we got to live with it. I think it's still uh, underwhelming, but again, it could be something that actually ends up working out. So uh, in the end, who knows? I mean, if he works out, then it's going to look like a great move. But uh, it, until we see him play, it, we really could only speculate now. Well, that's exactly it. I'm I'm thoroughly whelmed uh, yeah. with, with the trade at this point. Uh, but yeah, he's a hawk now. So uh, I got to guess him and hope for the best. Uh, yeah. I, I, I mean, just the uh, the Patrick Kane text where he's like, I'm glad I don't have to play against you anymore. You know, that's always fun. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And uh, so, yeah, I can't say I'm totally against it. I just, I guess with embracing a rebuild i would looking i was just looking for prospects but again we got a guy that knows how to play in the nhl he's still young 25 years old so let's see what he could do i gotta chime in for a minute i like i know that this move seems questionable for you guys but i actually really like this move for chicago i know that brandon Saad is absolutely loved by the hawks organization and hawks fans but when you look at Chicago's defensive depth on their roster, it is not good. I mean, you've you've got serviceable guys, but you don't have any guys who, aside from, in my opinion, Keith, who you look at and say, that's a guaranteed top four guy. I think Zadorov is going to be that top four guy that you desperately need to help you guys control that neutral zone and just eliminate getting shelled. I know that it's painful to give up a guy like Saad, especially with the history that he has with your club, but sometimes you have to give up stuff that you love in order to get stuff that you need. And I think that in this case, this might be what this is. I would push back just a little and say that I think Murphy has developed into someone that can clearly hang in the top four. Uh, That's the only one that I would say, you know what? I think that Murphy's our solid number two defenseman who would be a top four guy. Uh, But otherwise, I agree with you. We have a ton of young kids. We have a ton of young prospects that 
haven't quite proved themselves yet. I hope that they will, but you hope that one out of maybe four or five truly makes it. Uh, this is a known commodity. I don't know. Could be. Could be good. I I, I guess like in the end, I was just hoping maybe like Shane, I like guess Shane Bowers or Alex Newhook. But again, we got a known commodity, so uh, defense could be improved. I think he's an upgrade over Olimata for sure. Um. So yeah. I'm all right with it now. I was a little heated at the time, but that was because of what happened the night before. Uh, <laughs> uh, um, the next piece of Hawks news that we have to talk about is the fact that, you know, the Hawks basically told uh, goaltender Malcolm Subban that moving forward, this is going to be his chance to like really prove what he's got. Um, admittedly, I haven't seen a ton on him. So, I mean, maybe Nick or Tim, one of you guys has. What is your opinion on him as a goaltender? Because, like I said, I really have not watched enough footage to feel like I have a valid opinion on him. Well, first, I just wanted to say huge shout out to the man, the myth, the legend, Corey Crawford, for 17 years with our organization, drafted in 2003. Absolute legend. And just thank you for the cups, for the memories, and for your nonstop work ethic. It was a treat to have you as the goaltender of our club. Yeah, I'm gonna co- I'm gonna talk about Crawford before we'll get uh, into Subban because I have a lot yes. of exciting exciting things about Subban. So go go ahead. Yes, yeah, sorry to I, not to ignore your question, Jordan. I'm gonna get there, but uh, I know it feels like it's been so long ago. But uh, last week before it was Tuesday, I want to say before the first round of the draft. Blackhawks told Corey Crawford that he will not be turning to the Blackhawks. They're not going to re-sign him. And uh, he was, and then obviously he signed with the Devils. But Crawford was devastated that the Hawks wouldn't really want, don't want to bring him back. And uh, I mean, I'll get into like the finances in a second. But again, just I know I gave my a eulogy like at the end of the season when the Hawks got eliminated to Corey Crawford. But uh, Crow, it was like. Two Stanley Cups he brought us through, like the almost three, we could have won three in a row. It's an unreal goal t- goalie, always underappreciated in the city of Chicago, and gonna be truly missed because he was a big part of what we had here and why we have these cups. Absolutely, could not agree more. I, my family's always been very uh, pro Crawford and supporting him, and I've gotten into many arguments at many bars about how. Uh, People, people seeming to think that we could move on from Corey Crawford, and uh, absolutely not. He's he's the man. Uh, so that's a bummer. That being said, I am excited about Malcolm Subban getting a real official shot at being a starter. He played like two games in Boston where he was drafted. Uh, he's been the backup behind Flurry, playing inconsistent time. This is a guy who a lot of the reports that I've read on him, when he is playing consistent minutes and consistent games in a row, his numbers are actually really good. I He's 26, which is the same age that Crawford was when he officially broke into the league. Uh, I see absolutely no harm with... It's like a two-year, 850K deal per year. Uh, you have him take this chance, and if he doesn't do anything with him he doesn't earn it you've got delia you've got lankin and we've got a lot of young goalies that we need to know what we have uh but i for one think 
Malcolm Subban, he came into the organization, and while he didn't do a lot on the ice, he never got the opportunity, but in the community, like, he worked with Taze in some really good charitable events. Uh, I He seems like a wonderful person, but I really am excited to see what he does with consistent minutes and see if he can take that starting job. Yeah, I mean, there was obviously a reason why Hawks wanted Subban in return for Leonard. Uh, he's he's young. He really hasn't got a chance to prove himself. I'm not so high on him. I think eventually it's going to be Lincoln's job, just because uh, I like what I see in Lincoln in the world world tournament and definitely. So, uh, but you know, we got Delia. She's 26. Subban's 26 or 25, and then uh, Lincoln's 24, 25. So. Got three young guys who are now all hungry for a wide open goalie position on the Blackhawks, and uh, you know, I, this is their chance to grow. I think they're going to get a lot of uh, learning experience. They're going to work with one of the best goalie coaches in the world, and Jimmy Waite. So there's a lot to develop with these guys. I and it's interesting. I think Delia might probably end up being the backup because I know the Hawks liked him as a backup role when he was with Cam when they paired him with Cam Ward a couple seasons ago. So. It's going to be fun. we got three young goalies battling out. I think this might bring out the best in one another because, you know, it's a wide open – two spots are wide open and they could go fight for it now. Absolutely. I think we also saw that year where he was working with Cam Ward that Crawford was out. We saw some flashes of brilliance with Delia. Like, there were some games in a row that I was like, this guy could steal the net. But then, of course, he, you know, rookie year, he crashed down to earth, and that is to be expected. Uh but I like the way that we've seen Delia battle through uh, adversity. And like you said, I think that this is going to bring out the best in all three of those goalies. And it's a situation where one of them's the starter, one of them's the backup. I think we're going to see a rotation. And then the other one is getting consistent time in Rockford. I think that's a win for all three, frankly. Yeah, Delia's also got the coolest Twitter name, too. The real Delia. I mean, that's just hard. Yeah, okay, that's, <laughs> oh, that's really sad. Yeah, it's hard not to root for a guy like that. Uh, yeah, what do you guys think? The what do you Detroit guys think looking yeah. at this? You see the Crawford news. What were you guys thinking? I think the competition for any position in the sports world is always good. I mean, at the end of the day, somebody's going to have to take up the mantle, regardless of whether the team's good or bad. Hopefully, for Malcolm Subban in this case, though, it's going to be good that he gets to take it up. I mean, I'm trying to think. He who who was he with? He was with what was it, Vegas before he came to Chicago. Yep, he was Vegas in Boston. And if I remember right, he actually he got a couple starts with Boston, correct? Yes. I think two. I want to say two total starts before they moved, or yeah, before they moved him. Okay. So in his case, it's not that he's being moved because he has bad play. It's just strictly speaking that they already had definitive starters, and for whatever reason, he wasn't filling that starter role. Well, I mean, he he was stuck behind Flurry, who's a, Flurry's a brilliant goaltender and then they were picking up robin laner and mm-hmm. now they've got a glut of goalies and one's gotta go and so they're not gonna keep malcolm suban you know up there so it made sense that we got him back i think he got moved strictly because laner came over and like that's my thing though it's he didn't get moved because he's a bad goaltender or that he was putting up just bad numbers this is literally just it's literally basically an organization can only have, you know, so much money tied up in goaltenders. So they can only have so many actual spots on their rosters that they can't really have three goalies riding with them. And if 
he is really ready for the NHL. I think this is absolutely his chance to take it. And as of this moment, I mean, I really think that it's going to be him and Delia. Delia, I think, is okay. And if Subban's an unknown, maybe Subban has a breakout year. And this is sort of where you look at him and you see this is our definitive starter, at least for the next foreseeable two seasons or so. And then you move from there. Um, to me, it's this is his chance to prove it or not. And it's his position to lose. Like, it's a tough position. NHL goalie, in my opinion, is one of the hardest positions in sports. Um, so this is his chance. You know, he was behind, you know, like you said, um, cemented starters in Vegas and Boston. There isn't one right now in Chicago. He could try to make himself that person. Yeah, exactly. I, I was mentioning I was going to get to the financial things with Crawford. Uh, the one thing that did, you know, irk me a little bit, I know the Blackhawks really were urging to go in this separate direction. The fact that he signed for, uh, maybe it was, I think it was more term, the Hawks only wanted to sign to a one-year deal. Yeah. $3.9 million when the Hawks offered him three point five. I, I like, I know it's just, it's four hundred k, but like the fact that again, I know we're going to youth route, but you couldn't pony up the extra four hundred k for Crawford and maybe you know let one of these younger guys play more than Crawford. I know he wants to be a starter, but yeah, like give Crawford a little more break or play him as a committee. It, it, it irked me a little bit, you know. Uh, again, I know it's the separate direction we stand kind of wants to go. Well, and I think about it, how many times has Stan come under fire for being too loyal and giving out, you know, too much term or a little bit extra uh, for an aging guy and then having it not work? And I don't know, I, I it breaks my heart because I love Crow, but I also, like you said, like, I'm I'm upset, but I also understand the business and the direction it, I'm excited to see him in New Jersey. Frankly, I I'm excited to see him with a young core moving up and he'll be the guaranteed. Well, he'll be the number one starter and Blackwood will be a really nice backup for him. They're going to have a nice one, two punch. I, I I think Crawford still has a lot left in the tank. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I think the injuries are hopefully all behind him now. And uh, yeah, again, I'm always, I'm just going to root for him going forward. Obviously with New Jersey, I I'm looking forward to it. They're, they're a young team on the rise. They're still, they're looking to get out of their rebuild phase and maybe now they got like a legitimate number one there. It could be one of those surprise teams that we had penciled in last season. And it's going to be a heck of a game when Crawford comes back to the United center. And hopefully I hope the fans are there too. I hope we have fans back to give them the ovation yep. that Crawford deserves. We can move on to the uh, the next piece of Hawks news if you guys are ready for it. Uh, Dominic Kubelik signs a two-year, three point seven million dollar per deal with the Hawks. Basically, this is this is the bridge contract for him. This is the basically Hawks telling him if last year's not a fluke, prove it to us again, and if you can prove it again to us the year afterwards, that's when you're getting paid. But as of right now, I think this is a very serviceable in terms of like cap it to handle 3.7, I think is a touch more than I would have liked with him. I think three point, probably like a 3.2 maybe would have felt just a touch better. Just, I mean that extra half million, it's not a ton in the grand scheme of things, but it is at the end of the day, cap money that you're flexible with. 
I'm thrilled it's under four, frankly. Uh, 30 goal score at, you know, he's 24, 25, like mid 20s. Uh, you want to prove that it's not a fluke, but I definitely think he could have commanded for a two-year deal for a million. I, I'm very happy with the 3.7, and because even if even if he's only a 20 goal scorer this year, paying you know Sad was a 20 goal scorer and we were paying him six million, so uh, you know Debrink it's 6.4 million. I'll, uh, he's making, you know, Shaw is 3.9. I'll definitely take 3.7 for, uh, and a very exciting potential in Kubalik. Yeah. And a big signing. I know we, uh, speculated before that maybe he's one of those trade pieces you sell high. I'm glad he's back. Um, uh, 3.7 is a great price for him. I had him at like anywhere between the three and a half to 4 million range and, you know, foul rate in between. So it works out. Yep. Uh, big piece on the power play. Nice, heavy shot. Very accurate. Uh, I'm excited what Kubli could do for the next couple of years. Uh, only word that scares me is the word bridge, just because I know that's typically in a bridge deal, Stan likes to move on from guys. Thinking but, about he signed a really nice two-year bridge deal too. Yeah, and yeah, and where he where he end up? It's just like these RFA things are. Dan likes to sign these RFAs and flip them. I, I don't think that's the case with Kublik. They're very high in them, but and we, it's a different time. Uh, yeah. it's a couple of years ago when he did it with Panarin, we were looking for cost certainty and chasing another cup. Whereas with Kubalik, we want to invest in these kids a little bit more. So I oh trust me, I worried about the exact same thing. <laughs> the bridge that bridge word scares me. Like uh I mean, like, whenever Stan signs an extension, I'm like, well, it's inevitable he's going to trade him soon because, like, we I see, like, I know it was little guys like Hannah Strohs and Hayden, but he they sign he signs them and then he trades them. So I'm just hoping that's not the case here, but I highly doubt it. Happy we got it done. Happy we got it done, though. The next two uh, pieces of news to talk about, and I'm, I'm going to butcher the names. It's, was it Matthias Janmark? A couple of marks. Uh, uh, the marks, basically Janmark and Walmart. Um, I don't have Walmart's uh, details in front of me, but Janmark signed a one-year, two point two, two point two five million dollar deal. Basically, he is going to be a bottom six guy, and I think it's basically just sort of like a fill position. I don't think that the Hawks will probably keep him around. It's it's a deadline move, in my opinion. It's it's kind of similar to some of the deals that we talked about with Detroit earlier. This is a pick that you you picked him up. You're going to see what he has, and if he has something decent, and you're just off the cusp of the playoffs, you sell it, and you get draft picks for it. If you pan hands out and you make the playoffs, you have a piece to continue moving and use if you think you're going to go on a run. Um, Nick or Tim, does either of you have uh, Walmart's uh, contract details in front of you by chance? Uh, one year, what? 950. So, I mean, so, what do you guys think of those deals? I mean, they're both not, like, super expensive deals. You want to go first? They're both, yeah, I'll, I'll, I, and they're not, again, they're not, the, these guys aren't these attractive signings, but these guys are, what me and Tim have been preaching lately is that the Hawks don't have NHL-capable players on every line, and this is just helping that depth, you know? These guys are both two-way players. They're, not, they're hard to play against. They're going to go fight for the puck in the corner. Uh 
Denmark especially is a great two-way player. Very cheap. He's like a Brandon Saad replacement now. And, uh, yeah, I like Walmart too. I, Carolina fans were seen very upset that he wasn't coming back because they traded him to Florida this past season. And uh, Florida fans wanted him back as well. They said, you know, the reviews on him is the Hawks got a steal at 950K. Uh, very underrated depth player. So I'm excited what he – like those guys could fill out the fourth line, maybe Janmark on the third line in a uh, defensive shutdown third line. So uh, I like I like these signings. Uh, Walmart's another one of those. He's 25 years old. Uh, last year he uh, scored 25 points, 12 goals, and 13 assists in 67 games. Like – that's the kind of chipping in on the depth that you like to see. It sounds like he's a really good defensive center. Uh, I would say these two, bo- both uh, Mark and Walmark, offer fantastic slots into the bottom six. And I think that they also encourage our homegrown guys and the guys that we have. They're not just going to be given a spot. You have to earn it. And I think that that's going to be exciting. It's like the competition for goalie. Our bottom six now has a ton of potential people. It makes me a little nervous because you've got, you know, John Mark, uh, Nylander, Highmore, Walmark, Carpenter, uh, Peary, Camp, Hagel. Uh, I think Zach Smith is, should come back. Like, that's not even including the potential of Pius Suter, who I think is going to slot into the top nine. Uh, and John Quinville, like, yikes, that's, that's a lot of people. Uh, I would assume that Hagel goes back to Rockford to cook a little longer. Kampf and Carpenter and Highmore should all be competing for those bottom six roles, and they've been in there for a while. Uh, I don't know how it's going to shake out, but I have to believe that with who we've got now, the bottom six that we're going to ice is going to be a higher quality, whether it's the people we have rising to the occasion or new people, it's going to be higher quality than we had last year. Yeah, it's that's exactly what it is. Uh, you know, like you said, like you just said, Tim, our bottom six is looking, now it's just very competitive. They're going to be all fighting for the same spots. And Denmark, he's also one of those, you know, he's, skilled too like not only is he just this two-way kind of defensive forward but he he's in. yeah I and mean, he scored 2015 he had 15, uh, 15 goals 2017 2018 he had 19 goals and respectively 30 points each season which is nice to have in your bottom six so uh nice little what we need yeah nice little additions um and yeah mark notably only 27 too so he's still got some game left in him and uh and also i think he, he said he was a huge hawks fan Enough, he thought the Hawks were going to draft him, but I think the Red is the Red Wings who end up selecting him two picks later, two picks before, one of the two. But yeah, nice little additions. I'm excited for to see these what these two two guys could do and help out build some depth for the Blackhawks. Training camp's going to be exciting. Uh, I, I think across the board with all the uncertainty, the training camp and whatever they do to get ready this year with COVID and whatever, I am very very excited for the competition yeah they're gonna be it again like they're gonna they're still gonna be a hard team to play against the hawks aren't like i know goalie goaltending is just our biggest question mark now i think honestly our roster got a little better we lost sod but we got cheaper replacements it's gotten a little better on 
like skaters wise, goalies, the biggest question mark now, but Oh, one of those goalies just finds it. The Hawks could be competitive and we got shock. Any goalie can get hot too at any time. Like goalies are so weird uh, (laughs) with, with that sort of thing. Like I feel like Darcy Kemper snuck in out of nowhere and became phenomenal. He hit his stride. Uh, uh, Elvis Merzlikens and Jonas Corposalo. I, who knows the, if things click into place, you're right. I, you, you made a good point. I think we're going to be hard to play against. The last piece of news that I think that I, I have for the Hawks is just some comments that sort of came out from uh, Jonathan Taves about just sort of the direction that the team is heading in terms of like the moves that they made, stuff like that. Um, I don't have the exact quotes in front of me like I should. Um, Nick or Tim, do you just want, or do you want to give like a breakdown of the quotes? I Mark Mark Lazarus tweeted out. It it was simple. Like they, I think the word Lazarus used was they're upset and shocked with the latest moves. And Taze said it's sad. I know the veterans. They like Taze, Kane, Keith. They all got a lot left in them. They want to go win. Um, which is worrisome that these the veterans are kind of getting pissed off. I know Seabrook's also among those that are getting mad about what's going on. So, uh. Yeah, I know it's a new direction for the Hawks. I'm not ready to write them off is absolutely terrible yet. I think, though, if things do go south quick next season, it, we might see these guys get a little agitated and maybe, you know, start putting on the, like, the waving their no move list. So who knows? Interesting yeah. because all of them so far that have said anything, like Keith and any of his concerns or comments, but even like Taze uh, today said, Chicago's my home, and I don't want to go anywhere, and I'm not going to go anywhere, but I want to win. And I mean, like, in the grand scheme, no veteran wants to hear the word rebuild. I I get it, especially guys like our core that's left, because they remember, they're chasing those glory days of, like, three cups, and they know what it's like to win, and they crave it again. But at the same time, this is also potentially the right move for the future. It, it And that's the difference. Stan Bowman made a comment at one point. I don't remember if it was at the deadline or something like that. But he said something along the lines of like, I don't tell them how to play the game. And I have to manage the team. Like everyone has their job. My big knock is I think there should be more communication. That seems to be where Taze is the most frustrated is the lack of communication and transparency. That's uh, that's a tricky game, though, because, again, they don't want to rebuild. They want to compete every year. That's their job. That's their fire and passion and what makes them amazing. But then what do we do? I, I think that's a very tough situation to be in for all parties. Mm-hmm. I don't... I, I don't think they end up going anywhere. I like, but if things like who knows if things go south, who knows how they if their opinions change. I they like they don't want to lose. They don't want to go out there and suck. God no. Uh, so I mean, again, that might bring out a little more of an edge in these guys, and you know, like all right, Sam, we'll go prove you wrong. Like we're we're here to win. That'd be great. I mean, Duncan Keith doesn't need any more edge. He's probably one yeah. of the most competitive people in the world. Uh, but I'd love to see that kind of like. Not that they ever lack it, but I would love to see another gear this year of, you want to rebuild? 
No, we're we're gonna show you. We're gonna rock. Let's go. Wrenching those plans, David or Jordan. What did you guys think of those comments? Yeah, I gotta actually uh, like like you guys said. I think communication is the big one. I mean, I'll kind of compare it to you know the last five years or so of when the Red Wings were making the playoffs. I mean, when you look at you know Zetterberg and Datsuk, I think are pretty close comparables to Kane and Taves in terms of just like leadership qualities, skill players, stuff like that. You've got these players who have been to the top of the hockey mountain. They've tasted, you know, championship success. They've tasted deep playoff runs. And mm-hmm. when they think they've still got just more life left in them, to hear or to not even be told that, you know, hey, we're going to start, you know, this rebuilding process, that's got to be frustrating because you agreed to these contracts for this period of time because you thought that management was going to keep the team pretty competitive, that they were going to make decisions that were designed to keep you and this team having meaningful playoff success. So I actually understand why Taves and crew are actually pretty mad, because, I mean, if I was in their situation, I would probably feel similar. I will say, because, and again, I 100% agree with that, and I 100% would feel the same way as Taves and Kane and all them. How ever you have to know and all of them are very intelligent players you have to know that the salary cap is made for this specific reason that teams aren't on top forever and it creates that parity in the league you know signing an eight-year deal when you're seeing guys jettisoned off the team every other year because of cap crunches and whatnot and as these big contracts kick in you have to know, you have to know, right? At some point that the team's not going to be good and you know that you're signing on now, you're cashing in and you have to know that sooner or later you're going to be cycled to a lot harder to win, not necessarily better at the bottom, but not nearly as competitive. Uh, mm-hmm. That's where the business of it and the understanding of it and that passion and dedication as athletes, that's where that sort of split is, if that makes sense. I think it's like, and I get that completely. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, like you said, the cap is literally designed to make it so that teams are on top forever. The fact that teams like Chicago and Pittsburgh have literally broken and just bucked the whole cap system of saying, we don't care that we're not supposed to be on top for forever. We're going to be perennial playoff contenders every single year with a legitimate chance at the cup. Yeah, that wasn't supposed to happen with the uh, with the salary cap, and it's it's a miracle. Like it shows how good those top players are on Chicago and Pittsburgh, and even the the teams in uh, L.A. all bucked that trend, but sooner or later. It has to. It has to crash a little bit. I agree. Um, I can understand Taves' frustration, like saying that they weren't really told they were going to go through a rebuild, and you guys aren't in the position the Wings were the last couple of years before we just crashed and burned. There's still, there was still a lot more life in the team, but they decided, I guess, to disassemble. Unlike Ken Holland, who was just trying to, you know, plug a sinking ship with duct tape. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so 
I get what management's doing. It's a business. Yes, if I'm Taves and Kane and whoever, yeah, I'd be upset. You know, these are your team leaders. They need to be involved in these decisions too. Like, talk to your team. Um, But speaking of, you know, aging players, we we mentioned Dotsik a few times. 42, he's still got the moves. I just watched a clip of him yesterday (laughs) on Reddit. He just beat the dude out of his skates. Bring him back. Bring him home. That good. No, he really is that good still. My thing is, the Hawks, if if they're really going to embrace this rebuild, for them, I, I think you actually made a good point, David. Their process of getting to the rebuild state is different than a lot of teams. Mm-hmm. I mean, the Wings slowly worked their way to a rebuild, and then one year they finally just hit that point where the bottom fell out. The Hawks aren't in that position. They have a pretty decent number of pieces, but it's almost like management is making this decision now, like, we're going to cut it now. We're not going to let it start to fall apart. We're just going to cut it now. This is the direction we're going. So it's basically, I mean, another way I would explain it is if you think of it in terms of, like, driving, Detroit slowly made a left turn, the Blackhawks organization, they literally slammed the wheel to the left, basically. That's kind of how I would describe how their rebuild philosophies are going. It's like that one meme. The one meme where it's like the car is swerving off to the high, off the highway. Yes. <laughs> but that being said, a, a rebuild isn't always guaranteed. My biggest fear is that we're good enough to stay middling my biggest fear is that we become the minnesota wild where we're not good and we haven't been good for a decade and we're not gonna be good but we're not gonna be bad enough to reset well that's the that's what the oh sorry go ahead david were the minnesota wild good a decade ago i feel like they've always been shit I mean, I'm trying to be generous. They were like second round. They were always getting eliminated like first or second round for a they, while. They, they oh, were yeah. in the. They were they were good enough to either be on the bubble or make it into the first or second round of the playoffs. And I mean, they weren't scared of them. Their logo like, is hot fire, but the rest of them is just hot trash. Nobody was scared of going against the Minnesota God, Wild. I was thrilled when we went against the Wild. <laughs> All I know is I went to visit my best friend who had been living in Minnesota, but he's going to be moving out this way soon because um, COVID killed his job that he had. Um, but we went to a Wild uh, Red Wings game, and that was the game Bertuzzi had that hat trick. And even when we were winning, Wild fans were talking shit to me. And like even after the game ended, they were like, oh, you guys are terrible. And I'm like, um, how many cups do you guys have again? Okay, goodbye. You got to admire their uh, their spirit, though. I love yeah, that. Yeah, a little tenacity. But uh, six to two, go away. The, the one thing, so we mentioned it last week on the podcast, and obviously it's a clear direction for Stan wants to go towards this rebuilding phase. Because I'd ra- I'd rather again, I'd rather just go full on rebuild, like Tim just said, than be the Minnesota Wild and just be average. Like being average isn't fun. I'd rather at least try to rebuild and be great for the future. But Stan wants to go this rebuilding route, but unlike what Eisenman said last week where he said, we are a rebuilding team, Stan is refusing to say those words. We don't don't know who's... Like, you're right, Stan's refusing to say those words. We don't know where that's coming from, though. I always thought it was McDonough. It it could be higher up. 
he's saying he wants to go this younger direction and this youth movement is hinting at a rebuild. If you want a rebuild, just say that one word. So Hawks fans off your, like, that's the biggest thing. Like he won't be, I know it's his job to do what manage the roster. He doesn't have to address no one besides his bosses. But if you just say that one big R word rebuild, not, not anything bad, but rebuild, like what the Rangers did, just be straight up with the fans. If you're going to rebuild, just tell us like, I, you're, we're still going to be mad at what could have been. But we'll be more understanding of these moves rather than these condescending moves where a guy like Yanmark would have been nice to have with, and again, these goalies could work out, so who knows if we had Corey Crawford back there. So, like, he wants to go younger, but I just don't know. He needs to – I don't think he has his mind made up yet. And that's the thing, you know, better the knife from the front than the knife in the back. At least when if it's from the front, you see it coming. Exactly. I think that's pretty much going to cover all the topics that we have for tonight's show. Does anybody else have anything else you want to talk about before we wrap this episode? Because we're going, I think, about on an hour and a half now. <laughs> do you want to just quick? Do you, should we quickly get to the league signings? Just the bi- the the, the big uh, three that I can think of. I think the big three. I mean, we won't really get into them in super depth, but we'll just sort of talk about them. Um, the Fair first ball. being, I got I got some breaking news. Breaking news. Okay. Beep, 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 beep. Breaking news. Let's go. You took my job, you son of a bitch! <laughs> I'm doing the Foley work now. The Las Vegas Golden Knights will not be trading Mark andre Fleury. Really? They just announced it uh, a couple minutes ago. They said they're not trading Fleury. Uh, Robin Leonard's also getting shoulder surgery, so that might be a reason why. But, um, yeah, they straight up came out and said... Uh, we will be running with the tandem of Marc-Andre Fleury and Robin Leonard. It's a great tandem. One year left on his deal, right? Two, uh, I thought. But... Yeah, I think he has two years left. Oh, two? But he's going to trade with one year left. This also could be a hardball, playing hardball tactic. Like, nobody's biting on him. Okay, I'm going to say I'm going to keep him and don't want to trade him. And then somebody's going to be like, oh, okay, there's a Fleury about. Like, who knows? This could be just playing hardball. But as of now, Marc-Andre Fleury is staying put in Las Vegas. So they're going to have to figure out to move that cap somewhere. What are they carrying now? $12 million in cap space then for uh, for goaltenders? Because what, Leonard's going to be half. 5 Plus 7. I'm no math magician, but I think that's 12. I thought it was 7 and a half or... even Even more. Oi. Yeah, tw- so out of 12. It's 12 to 12 and a half, but yeah. A lot of money between two goalies, but then again, Florida's doing it with just one, so... <laughs> Um, but yeah, I think that's going to be pretty much it for the episode, aside from these big names that moved in free agency. So we'll go ahead and just touch on them real quick. Um, the first being Taylor Hall goes to the Buffalo Sabres on a one-year deal, making around $8 million a year. Uh, Tory Crew goes to the St. Louis Blues. Um, I'm trying to remember the exact cap head on it. Krug, I think, was he... Six, six and a half. half. Yeah, I think it was six and a half. That's what that's what I'm feeling. And then uh, Brayton Holtby ends up going to the uh, Vancouver Canucks. In a two-year, four-point-three deal, if I recall correctly. Uh, yeah. Um, uh, we already mentioned Robert Le- uh, Robin Leonard. Um, but those are, I think, the three big ones. Petrangelo. Petrangelo? Oh yeah, sorry, Petrangelo. 
Vegas. Eight point eight, right? Yeah, I think it's somewhere yeah. around there. Seven yeah. or eight point eight or something. Yeah, so the, he got the biggest contract this off season, uh, which was expected. Uh, so if we want to quickly fly through him, uh, Vegas just an absolute wagon still. Like they replaced Nate Schmidt, who they uh, traded to Vancouver to clear cap. Or Alex Petrangelo, who is a top five D man in the NHL. A great move for Vegas. Uh, maybe, you know, near the end of the contract, they might be biting themselves a little bit, but for now, it just makes that team even harder to play against. And just G- Jesus, Jesus. Yeah, that's a, that's a super scary move. And I like the Taylor Hall move. I think he's betting on himself again, and he's going to go to Buffalo for a year. He got an eight mil deal for a one year, which is great. Uh, he's going to put up big numbers on Eichel's line. At least I think that's his plan. And then if he doesn't like it in Buffalo, he writes his ticket. Thank you. <laughs> uh, what was it? Uh, Braden Holtby, his deal with Vancouver is, I believe it's a two-year deal. Yep. Yeah. So, I mean, he's in, he was doing like 3.5. So, again, he's basically betting on himself. And it's one of these things where the cap's flat right now. He doesn't I don't think have the ability to command you know the money that he wants, especially with the fact that Robin Leonard just signed for five mil. So it's really one of those things where it's just the market has to shake out correctly for him to really cash in. Because Braden Holtby is worth more than three point five million dollars, but oh yeah, the way that the market is painting out right now is it's basically one of those things where he he had to take a short contract out of necessity so that he can get paid later. And you got to yep. look at his age. I mean, Markstrom got six years at six mil a year in Calgary. Uh, Matt Murray ended up getting like 6.25 for five or six years in Ottawa, which is insanity to me, frankly. Uh, but these young, and even uh, Laner with the five years, you're seeing Holtby with a two year deal. You're seeing Crawford with a two year deal. I think where it's at right now, people are a little more nervous with older goaltenders. I mean, Hopi and Demko, though, it, that's going to be awesome. It's going to be a thing of beauty, and I do not want to play against Vancouver. Uh, Vancouver, like, Vancouver is always one of those teams that I like, hated with the city and it's going against, but they're going to be so fun. They're going to be so nasty. They're so young, so skilled, and they just they got one of the best goalies in the league on their team, and it's just unreal. Vancouver's going to be good for a while. Um, what's your guys' Detroit. favorite move amongst the uh, the moves from free agency? Like, which one would you say was like either the most shocking or just made the most sense? Taylor Hall to Buffalo is the most shocking to me, but I love it. I Taylor love the most shocking. He gonna make himself look good being next to Eichel, like yes. um, Tim was saying, and he gonna get paid afterwards. Yeah, and he's getting eight mil. He has a full new move clause, full new trade clause, because if things go south in Buffalo. Guess what? He could waive that no trade clause to specific teams and get moved as a deadline. Works out perfect. Gets a bigger. He's going to get another contract next season, and he's going to be playing with one of the best young centers in the NHL and Jack Eichel. And I think the one cool quote that he said is that like everybody in the NHL roots for Buff. Like Buffalo is one of those teams that nobody hates. Like they like everybody loves Buffalo. I think Taylor Hall is just putting money where his mouth is right now, and he's going to go play there. Hopefully, light it up. Like Tim said, you know, he'll go get paid, maybe go win an MVP, and then bounce out of there. You know, you know what trade 
or you know what acquisition I really really like uh and it's one of the more underrated ones I like Tyler Toffoli to uh Montreal four years at like 4.25 or something like that uh I think that he's going to be a really nice addition to an already growing Montreal core I think that that could be a really slick move if that pans out right Oh yeah, he's one of the. He's like a, you know, Montreal is always one of those brink teams. I know they upset Pittsburgh. I like that move a lot too, just because he's a nice skilled player, top six forward, and you know he adds that little scoring touch to him. He just plays a two way game as well, so Toffoli was a nice move. What's your favorite move, David? I'm gonna go with the Taylor Hall move too, just because it was just out of nowhere. Like that's where you're gonna go, but then when you think about it, you're like, oh, he's. Playing, you know, forty chess. He's three steps ahead of us. We got a nice young core going there too. Yeah, I mean, and that's the thing. He's going to be surrounded by a lot of kids who, I mean, yeah, he's only going to be there for a year probably because he's probably going to make absolute cash next season and the off season. But I mean, he's going to be surrounded with the youth movement there, which is also just something for him, which is, I guess, kind of fun to do. Um, I really like the Holtby move myself. I mean. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily for him, but just for Vancouver in general. Him only taking three point five and signing with them. Wait, that's I gonna. Hope he took four point three. Yeah, four point three. I, I did, who took three point five? Somebody took three point five. That's Grace, right? No, Grace took three point one. Okay, well, even even at four point three, though, Holtby is still that is a still yeah. very very good deal. <laughs> and it doesn't block oh, yeah. Thatcher Demko. Thatcher Mm-mm. Demko is still able to grow for the next two years and be able to be the full-fledged starter in two years. Mm-hmm. No, yeah, Jordan, you, you nailed on the head. Just That's a steal. Because what? Before this offseason, we were projecting what he was going to make, and we had him around like anywhere between 7.5 to 8.5 million. Different world. Yeah, <laughs> yeah different times. But, yeah, this is, that is a great signing for an already star-studded team. I mean, like you think about it, like let's say he was make set to make, you know, seven and a half or eight point five. If he takes four point three, that's that's about another three to four million dollars your team has to spend. That's basically another middle, like basically like a bottom four defenseman. I mean, that's a decent pickup for a team with that much cap space. It still gives him time for that another contract too. Like he'll he'll be thirty three, thirty four when that contract ends. He could still get another year deal and up uh make a couple more mil but yeah very interesting all right well i think that's pretty much going to be it for the show though tonight i don't think we have anything else to talk about so i'll go ahead and close this one out uh, as always we'd like to thank you guys all for listening to this edition of the Stickblade podcast at the end of the day this is a fan cast it is a podcast that is by fans it's for fans there's no corporate sponsors there's no sponsorship deals Nobody who can tell us, you know, what we can and can't say, what we have to say. So this is really a podcast for you guys, and we appreciate you guys tuning in and listening to it. Um, if you ever want to get in contact with the podcast, we've got a plethora of ways to do it at this point. You can get in contact with us, or in contact with us on SoundCloud. Uh, the SoundCloud profile is Stickblade Podcast. You can get in contact with us over Twitter. The Twitter handle is at StickbladePod. You can get in contact with us via email at stickbladepodcast at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook as well, so you can find us on there. Just a plethora of ways for you to get in contact with the podcast. And if you have like fan questions or feedback, show ideas, just literally anything, we love reading it and having it on air when we do get it every once in a while. So if you have some, 
please, please, please feel free to send it in. It's been a while since we've had some fan interaction on the show. And I think I can speak for everybody here when we say that we really enjoy having it. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, it's nice, to, it's nice to take some questions. Um, but with all that being said, again, we'd like to thank you guys for tuning into the show and for your host, Jordan Linscott, and my co-hosts, David Barnhouse, Nick LePage, and Tim Stampanato. This has been another edition of the Stick Blade Podcast. <laughs>